Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zappa. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chip spots. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Monday, December 10th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I'm a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And my name is Kenny Kane, EVP of Mission and co-founder of Stupid Cancer, and we are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. And we welcome back our fabulous, soon-to-be full-time co-host, Andy Goodman. Hello, everybody. What do we got on the show tonight? Uh, tonight we've got In the Kitchen, Cooking and Cancer. In our Survivor Spotlight, we have Jeff Sterling, young adult survivor of colon cancer and the founder of Sea Wellness Anti-Cancer Foods. And also Annette Ramke, young adult survivor of breast and ovarian cancer, a health coach and co-author of Kicking Cancer in the Kitchen. And joining her is Kendall Scott, young adult survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma, health coach, co-author of Kicking Cancer in the Kitchen. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer online at stupidcancer.org, the largest support community for the young adult cancer movement. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. And hello. Hi, everybody. And hello. And hello. Maureen Sweet. Hi, My dear, I missed you last week. I'm sorry. I know. I was sitting uh, on the side. Yeah, you were visually. I was visually impaired. Yeah, you couldn't see me at all. No, it was fantastic. It was horrible. Very sad. Horrible to miss my Maureen. <laughs> and Matt and Taman in the couch waving hi on the radio. Live from the I, intern couch. <laughs> live from the intern couch. So what's going on, guys? It's busy with the holidays. It is Hanukkah. It is Hanukkah. Lahayim. Well, you know what that means. the third night of Hanukkah. It is, yes, the third night of Hanukkah. What did you guys get the past two nights? Um, well, I know you got the past three nights. I had beeplets. Yes. Kenny got to see his uh, godchildren. My, oh. my my daughter and my son were paid a lovely visit on the second night of Hanukkah. First night of Hanukkah. Yes. Um, we had beeplets in the basket. Yes. If you follow us on, yes. on social media. Yes. And we also had, uh, what did we have? We I guess it's very Jewish to have sushi on Hanukkah. Yeah, we ordered <laughs> sushi on Hanukkah. It's like having Chinese food on Christmas. Yeah, right. There it's you exactly go. the same thing. It's, very, it's not super at all. kosher, too. Yeah, super kosher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had Hanukkah and well? You know, I actually went to a holiday party Saturday night. It was all-inclusive. It was a little more like Christmas Like a matzo ball kind of thing? Yeah, well, it was kind of Christmas party, but it's okay. The jingle ball. Yeah, it was, it was at a friend's apartment, so okay. it was fun, and uh, got a little gift card to Apple so I can upgrade my super slow iPhone. Oh, fantastic. I'm, for you. I'm ready for a five. I think, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Knowing nothing about how bad your phone is right it's now. It's not that bad. I'm just a brat. Okay. Yeah. You want, you want, you want. Exactly. Exactly. I want what's new and fun. And Maureen, how was your Hanukkah? 
I mean, I I don't even know how to Hanukkah. <laughs> I'm from I, I come from Christmas land, so so I don't know much about it. But I was really impressed by the picture of your menorah. I didn't know they came in such fun designs. Oh, they're like all a, sorts of cool. It's like, like a, a cottage Disney industry kinda. of like MoMA style. I'd, I'd yeah. want a Titanic menorah. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. there is one. If you I'm sure there is one. I'm gonna do it right yeah, now. Yeah, it's not just <laughs> the ones where there you plug in the wall and you just screw in the light bulb. They get really they get really intense. Yeah. No, well, we have we have two. We have a really modern one that just hates okay. and the Disney one that just loves. Yeah, I thought it was very cute. Yes. I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's very fun. So, um, what, what what's going on in the news? We must have missed something. Facebook went down. That's for, right. For about 30 G-chat minutes. Gchat went down. Gchat. It was Facebook. Rough, a rough day. The Mayans clearly yeah. have their eye on uh, ICANN. This is anti-Cyber Monday. It is, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there was a story that I'm forgetting because I was supposed to remember it, and that's my job is to remember things that I forget, and I don't do that very well. But it has something to do with... Oh, I know what it was. It was this, this new Star Trek device or something. Like, I post it on the wall on Facebook. Of course, I have to pull it up now. As I, I have no idea what it is. Well. Um, there's a company launching a product next year which rivals the... Tri- Scanadu. Scanadu. which rivals the tricorder of Star Trek lore. It is actually a wireless thing. You slap like this thing to your neck, and it Bluetooths all of your bodily information. You know, uh, not... Gross, like normal, Maybe like like doctor checkup. Um, you know, you can get your heart rate, you can get your blood pressure, you can get your your blood o- pulse. Is, is it only external functions, or like does it like inject you like the Matrix? No, there's <laughs> another piece of it too that does like a X-ray, thermal X-ray of your oh, body, wow. oh, cool. which is non like you know. Yeah, like, I was gonna say another thing that'll give you cancer. Right, but like <laughs> if you watch the YouTube video, Scanadu, it's a bu- brilliant name for this product. Um, it's it's. I, I want to be like the, one of the first people to own this thing. Hopefully it doesn't give me cancer again or my kids or whatever, but it networks to your airport or your Wi-Fi network, and it ties into this wonderful platform about who your doctor is and notifying you, and it's like a symptom management wizard. So if it detects that your kid's temperature is 103, it then asks you uh, these um Next step questions, what else do they have, what else do they have, and after you answer yes or no to those questions, it'll give you a specific, like, doctor-approved prognosis through its database to tell you whether to go to the ER or call the doctor or give the kid aspirin or just whatever. This reminds me of, like, the prompt when you call, like, your, your PCP, and they say, if this is a medical emergency, hang up and dial 911. Right. No, no, it's, it's Scanadu. What is S C A N A D U? Yeah, it's the Nike Fuel Band on crack. It seems a little creepy to me. Yeah. It kind of freaks me out. I still want a human to look at me. I guess if it's just telling you, like, well, this doesn't replace a human. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I get. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It doesn't. Yeah, it, it reminds me. Of, me it reminds me of one of those devices that knows, like, when you woke up in your sleep, when you went back to sleep. Well, they had the job, the blue, the, some Jawbone thing does it. Not yeah. the, um, not the Bluetooth headset from Jawbone, but Jawbone makes this like this little wristlet thing, and it monitors when you get up and when you go to sleep, and it's kind of creepy. My grandma lived until she was ninety-two. I don't know. And she that. drank and she smoked. And she, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I need the scan a do. Just I'm, I'm gonna scan a don't. <laughs> no, it just it's it just looks super cool, and I wanted to you know I want to get them on the show. I want to hear what they have to say about it. Yeah. I'm sure there's all these FDA guidelines, and there's gonna be some regulations, and who knows what it's gonna do for liability's sake, and how do you do you indemnify yourself by owning it, that and, it's not the their work, fault? In the workplace and right, things right. like that. I guess it depends on what your illness is, if yeah. it's something minor, if it's like a chronic illness. It's a little weird. Yeah. A little weird. A bit. So, I don't know. Would mm. you want to be, like, you know, I, I used to have this idea of, like, um, uh, I was going to write a play. Mm-hmm. In, if I didn't get sick, I was going to write a play. And the play was basically going to be like a, a, a um, it's going to be ten five-minute vignettes. And each one was uh, over a hundred years. The same scene reenacted over how it would be different across different decades, based on technology and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it was all about a guy going to the doctor who had cancer. Right, right. I remember. I was going to do the screams for it. Yes, you were. That road trip in the car. <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's like 1920. <gasps> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So between 1920 and 2020, there'd be a hundred five uh, ten. Ten uh, five-minute scenes, each one taking place in a different decade, but it's the exact same character scenario. So in the 20s, you just die. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, the one in 2020 is, like, you have a little... You, I'm sorry, sir, you have cancer. But those, hang on a second. Boop, it's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> so we are on our way to the 
therapy. Like a check engine light. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Anyway, we have uh, we have Jeff on the line, so let's start kicking off the show. All right, Jeff Serlin is the founder of SeaWellness.com, an online resource center for anti-cancer foods and healthy living. Jeff was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer at the age of 37, and as part of his recovery process, he dedicated himself to learning about nutrition, exercise, stress reduction, and how not to live in New York City to avoid all of those, (laughs) and how they relate to cancer. Uh, His passion has spurred him to apply his experience as an entrepreneur to helping others live a healthy lifestyle, or if they live in New York City, as healthfully a lifestyle as humanly possible. Please welcome to the show, Jeff Serlin. Jeff! Hey guys, how you doing tonight? How you doing? Good. I'm I'm good actually. I used to live in New York City, uh, but I escaped up to Boston a few years ago. <laughs> All right, so leaving New York City, uh, check for the anti-cancer, uh, <laughs> ch- you know, um, strategy. Great. All right, we're all doomed here. Yeah, we are. Well, you came bouncing onto the scene a couple of weeks ago. I was really impressed with your uh, your work. You know, we do a lot of shows on nutrition. It's one of the high yield topics in the in the young adult world, let alone cancer. And there's really, you know, the question is always, who do you trust? What do you know? Nothing makes sense. Sometimes even organics really bad. We had a show a couple of weeks ago where they talked about how nothing you do will matter. You know, uh, say bathing and eating Twinkies, non-stocks, you can't Twinkies anymore. But bathing and eating some kind of little berry snack cake, you know, uh, is the only thing that will guarantee your early death. Um, you know, that... So I would love you to talk about you know colon cancer at 37, not very common. I'm sure your story is uh, quite extraordinary. So I'll let you uh, you take the helm, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you're right. There's so much out there. You just don't know uh, you know really who to trust. You're right there. Um, yeah, I was you know as everyone just really uh, you know didn't expect the cancer diagnosis. You know, it's 37 and just completely you know rocked our world here. Um, and Unexpectedly, I, I just, you know, you're lost in the beginning. You know, you don't know how to come to grips with the diagnosis, dealing with all the treatment. And I found that, you know, I, I immersed myself in the world of wellness. And uh, I really try to focus on the stuff I could take control and, you know, diet and exercise. And my, you know, state of mind were the, really the things that I've, uh, you know, took uh, control over and focused on and really helped me during the, um, you know, the whole process of the, the, the you know, treatment and everything after that. How did you discover you had colon cancer? Well, um, you know, it's a very, I get that question a lot. And, you know, it's, I had one symptom. It was some um, blood in the stool. And at age 37, you, you know, you didn't, you don't expect it to be colon cancer. You know, I just thought it was hemorrhoids or something like that. It's a little mm-hmm. gross to talk about, but, um, you know, we just uh, kept on, you know, doing testing, and then one thing led to another, you know, okay, we, the doctor's like, probably not a big deal, let's just get you a colonoscopy, got a colonoscopy, okay, we, we found a little bit of cancer, but not a big deal, we're taking it out, you should be cancer-free, and just kept on snowballing, and then I just kept on falling into the small percentage of, well, you know, now you need surgery, and uh, okay, well, now you need six months of chemotherapy, so <laughs> it yeah. like started off what you thought was hemorrhoids and led to this whole kind of life-changing, uh, you know, deal. So I, we we've done lots of shows on colon cancer, also especially in young adults. In fact, one of our interns, Matt Beckett, is a what are you like two and a half years out now, Matt? Yeah, two and a half years out. He's like twenty four now or twenty five. How old are you? He'll be twenty five, but he had colon cancer at twenty two. Wow. So it's kind of like one of those things. Like you couldn't possibly have done anything to do this to yourself, you know. And and that uh, you know it's just so uncommon, but it's happening more increasingly. Mm-hmm. And the doctors really aren't prepared on how to deal with someone who's not 80 with colon cancer. Did you have that? Did you feel that that was your specific experience? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's your right. I mean, you rack your brain. You're like, did I do anything? Just you go crazy, and after a while, you, you do come to the grips of like, you know what? Just it's a freak thing that happened. And um, I did feel out of place at age 37. I would be in the, uh, the waiting room. I was up at Dana-Farber up here in Boston, and you know, I was the youngest one by you know, 20, 30 years, and I tell my wife, I'm like, I don't belong here. You know, this is so weird. Um, so you do feel out of place, and they, um, even the doctors, a lot of the stuff they were telling you, just it didn't fit for my lifestyle. Um, they would tell you things like 
stay away from germs. I'm like, good luck with that. I have I have a one and a half year old child in the house. There's no chance changing diapers. There's no chance I could, you know, live a germ free life. You know, it's just like the stuff they're telling you. Just, it didn't fit. I didn't fit the profile. Yeah, it's like living in New York City and they tell you to avoid germs. You're like, well, then how do I get to the doctor then? Mm-hmm. Do I? I can't even take the subway. So tell me a little bit how you're. You know, you finished chemotherapy. How did you start? Did did you ever have experience in nutrition, exercise? You know, what did you have to change your lifestyle a lot? What were the changes that you made? You know, coming out of, you know, treatment, starting to become your new life as a survivor. Sure. Um, yeah, I didn't have any experience um, with nutrition. The one thing that really got me down this road was um, my hospital, uh, Dana Farber, had a, a great um, nutrition nutrition team, and one of the great services they provided was. When I was going through treatment, you know, you're, I had um, you know, six months of treatment every other week, and so you're hooked up to the infusion chair for hours on end. And one of the services they provided was um, they sent the nutrition team over you know, all the time during my treatment, and you had nothing else to do. You're hooked up. You're not going anywhere. So I would just sit there and talk to my nutritionist for um, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. My wife would be sitting there taking notes on what we could do to, um, you know, to help me, you know, just to what what foods to buy, you know, where to buy them, um, all that stuff, and um, so that, that's what really got me down the path, and the whole process, so we get back from the hospital, and my wife would be running to like four or five different stores and, you know, different websites, and I, we realized there wasn't like one location to, you know, get all the stuff that we needed, or at least find information um, about what we needed to get down this um, anti-cancer path, so, uh, you know, that's what really got me going and then after treatment I you know um, just started immerse myself into uh, you know anything I could do to help my cause so eating exercise and just read up as much as I could and talk to so many different people and Jeff just, if I could interject real quick what was your diet before you were diagnosed were you eating the average American diet or you would you consider yourself a, uh, a slightly more elevated conscious consumer <laughs> yeah I mean I was before I got sick I, I was pretty healthy but you know I had um, you know, had my share of um, you know red meat and you know steaks and uh, you know went out and just I didn't really eat fast food or anything like that uh, but you know drink soda once in a while so I, I, I just it was, it was average um, you know I did have um, I, I was I was in decent shape I did you know um, you know try to watch what I was eating but you know as good as anyone could I guess when you're in your thirties you know you're focused on other things so it was a real wake up call now you know I'm pretty much straight now, just like how I'm focused with uh, what I eat and very conscious of anything I put in my body now. So so what were the actual sources that you decided were the right ones and the wrong ones? And and, and where did you sort of deem the authoritativeness to to feel confident in espousing this out to the to the general public? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it, you're right, it's a lot, it's difficult to know which sources to trust, but I, um, Really did rely on um, you know, my nutrition team and, and dietitians, and you know I, I would go to you know trusted websites like the um, American Cancer Society or the you know Institute American Institute for Cancer Research, and just kind of read up um, you know what was going on. And you know still you know now with my website, I do have a um, team of um, you know health consultants that help me in terms of uh, choose which products to offer and things like that. But um, and there's so much out there, you know. There's so many, especially now. There's so many, um, you know, studies going on about certain foods or green tea or red wine or whatever it is. And just, you know, you read the information and you just try to process it the best you can and um, you know make your decision on you know what you want to implement. Because obviously, not everything they put out there and say, oh, eat this or drink this, you'll you know keep cancer away. You know, obviously, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But um, you have more. You read the the better educated you are, and so my website. I really wanted to just kind of put the information out there. You know, the, the current studies. You know, I post a lot of my my Twitter and Facebook pages of whatever is out there in the news, and just let my audience make a determination of uh, you know how they see fit. Were there any changes you made to your diet that were particularly a challenge for you? Yeah, getting rid of uh, red meat. Yeah, I did love my steak and my burgers. Um, I, uh, but I, I, I pretty much given up um, red meat completely in most meats now. Um, so that was definitely a uh, challenge in the beginning. Um, but now it's, I'm just used to it now. 
And what what about exercise? What was your exercise routine like before treatment and compared to now? Running after taxis. Yeah, that too. And your kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I was a type of, um, you know, I was in the gym, you know, kind of sporadically. Um, prior, I would kind of go through my phases of, you know, work out for, you know, in the spring for the summer months. I'd work out for like two or three months and I'd stop for four or five months. And, you know, I just would, um, you know, wouldn't be consistent in how I'd work out. And then, um, you know, so... Maybe uh, you know I would just go through phases, um, but then I, you know. But afterwards, I mean, now I'm trying to work out three or four times a week at least, and even even if I don't work out, I try to you know during lunchtime take like a half an hour walk, you know, or try to um, you know, instead of you know um, sitting at my desk all day, just go out, get out and just walk around as much as I can, just try to be active. So I definitely did change my lifestyle, my exercise routine pretty pretty dramatically now. And now I do a lot of cardio, a lot of free weights, and just uh, you know try to stay active. Right. We like to obviously be as cynical as possible on the Stupid Cancer Show, and uh, we we had the uh, I guess the now legendary Chris Carr on the show uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, actually she was our keynote speaker at OMG 2011, 2011, right, Kenny? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sunday morning, 2011. And uh, you know I I knew her like the year she was diagnosed and when she was at Dana Farber. Um, I asked her a very blatant question. She actually gave me a very brilliant answer, but it was really meant to stump her. Which is like, what's the use of juicing kale rhetorically if you're going to wake up and breathe smog every day living in a metro area versus living in Montana and getting eaten by a bear? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, and that uh, was a great answer for it. You know, it's just um, you just want to feel good every day. You know, and uh, if it's kale that makes you feel good, you know, eat it. <laughs> Uh, but you're right, you know, just kind of you got to do what makes sense, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. My wife is the same way. My wife is like, you know, you get hit by a bus in the next day. <laughs> um, so you just never know what's going to happen. Right, right. All right, so so talk us through again this, um, you know, what was your job? What were you doing in life? What what sort of gave you the uh, the entrepreneurial spirit, if you didn't already have it, to, to start this Sea uh, Wellness Initiative? Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, prior to... This I actually um, had my own business. I ran um, a few websites that um, focused on you know, fundraising products for schools and nonprofits. You know the you know the, the kids uh, selling the cookie dough, the candles, things like that. Um, I had some um, visible websites in that area, and so I um, I've been doing this for a decade, and it was a nice little business. Um, just had a few employees, but I was the driving source behind the the sales. And when I got sick, I, I everything fell apart. You know, I just did not have a contingency plan for getting colon cancer at the age of 37. Why um, not? Come on. <laughs> I expect more of you, damn it. I know, I know. Next time, next time. Um, so, and that's what just and so my business suffered dramatically when I was sick. But I, you know, when you're sick, you just you focus on the task at hand. I'm like, I'm like, screw it. You know, I'm just going to focus on getting better, and everything else just comes second. And so after my treatment. I tried to build back up my business, and I was doing it, but then I realized in that process, I just didn't like it anymore. I was doing it for so long, and I was ready for a change, and so I you know, stumbled upon, you know, I knew the lifestyle that I was doing now, and I just realized there was an opportunity, so I was able to um, just combine you know, my passion with a business opportunity, so we'll, we'll see this, where this takes me. You know, just the site, you know, Wellness just launched um, a few weeks ago, so it's brand new, and we'll just see where it takes me, but I can tell you right now, I... I'm happy getting up each day. I love what I'm doing, and uh, that wasn't the case a few years ago when I was trying to rebuild uh, my struggling business. So, so then let's talk through the business model. Then, basically, you are a reseller of products, largely, correct? And advice and and lifestyle, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do you determine which products you determine are worthy of being represented under your brand? Mm-hmm. What is the litmus test for that, and, and where is the science? If there is science, or is it really more crowdsourced wisdom? You know, it is um, more crowdsourced wisdom. You know, that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, we go there. We ch- I'm trying to um, choose, you know, brands that do have, um, you know, that are reputable, that have been there, been around for a while, and is trying to have um, some science-based um, information behind it. Um, I do re- rely on a lot of the um, nutritional consultants that I have, and. You know, it's just the early stages. So right now, I just have, um, 
you know, limited product. You know, it's a decent selection right now, but I just hope to grow, you know, the product um, you know, as the business expands. Um, I went to the uh, Natural Health, Health Food Show out in California a few months ago, and there's so many great products out there. I'd love to get on my site. Um, it's just more logistically if I could implement it. So to answer your question, I really do, um, you know, rely on the advice of my nutrition uh, team and, uh, you know, really what the crowdsourcing uh, with the general population is looking for. So I hope it appeals to, you know, people and, um, you know, looking to make this type of lifestyle change. So we'll just adjust on the fly if it doesn't. All right, so then let's take the next couple of minutes then to discuss what would you consider beyond the obvious, you know, fruits and vegetables and, you know, vegetarian diet or fish source or whatever people call themselves these days. Uh, are, are there actually, you know, I heard like the supplements don't really matter because all the nutrition's gone from them and everything's, you know, uh, uh, what's it called, um, pasteurized and it loses all the value. Are there any practical things that people can eat on a day-to-day basis that don't require cooking more in the supplement realm uh, that offer the remotest sense of quite, not quite the right food or the real food, but does the job? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, definitely. With a lazy vegan. (laughs) You know, I'm sure you could ask, you know, get a few different answers and ask different people. Um, You know, I do, you know, believe, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, vitamin D3. Um, I I just, I have noticed the difference. I mean, I did get a lot of um, colds um, prior to, you know, going through my treatment, and I just, now I take vitamin D3 every day, and I just, feel better. You know, I think my immune system is stronger, so that's something I do really believe in. Um, and, you know, omega-3s, you know, there's a lot of questionable, um, you know, ask a professional, you get a different opinion. I, I, like, I, I do like taking omega-3s and a lot of fish, you know, I have a lot of tuna in my diet. Um, so, I mean, but little things, like instead of, um, you know, going to Starbucks, instead of drinking coffee, you know, I just get green tea. You know, Starbucks has an amazing... Uh, green tea, even ice green tea, I love that. So little little changes like that. You drop the coffee, you drop like the the soda, you drop the sugar drinks or whatever juice and drink a water or green tea, you know, um changes like that, subtle changes. You know, everyone it's different for everyone in terms of the uh you know, lifestyle. You know, some people will change every single every little thing and just go nuts and some people will change one or two things. You know, it really does come down to what works for you. So well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We love to have you sort of more immersed in our community. Um, clearly, like I said, this is a hot topic. There are really everyone's very sort of captious. We want to make sure that we're getting expert advice. But who, what, what constitutes an expert? Andy, any final thoughts? I, I'm very impressed by all the changes you've made. I am just finishing treatment a couple weeks ago, so I'm in the midst of all the lifestyle changes and it is really tough so you've done a good job well thanks Annie. and I, I, I do appreciate it and um and i thank you guys for this opportunity and i yeah i really do um you know want to be more involved with this this community and i i, I just uh, like matthew i told you on the phone the other day i love your organization you know you guys are just do such a phenomenal job so thank you again so much for having me tonight well, you're making us look good, and you're making me look bad. So thank you very much. Uh, Jeff, you're, you're an extraordinary survivor. We'd love to do some cool, integrative social stuff with you, maybe basket giveaways or whatnot. But the website is cwellness.com, and uh, this is uh, Jeff Serlin. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks so much. Have a good night. The real deal. He's really good. The real deal for sure. All right, let's hit up the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay. Where are we? Here at Stupid Cancer. <laughs> where's Stu- where, where's Matt? <laughs> yes, we're, we are at the Stupid Cancer Show. All right, here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year. We do not want you missing out on any of them. And hey, Kenny, what's going on? Oh, hey, Matt. Hi there. Wednesday, December 12th. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you in San Diego at the first ever Stupid Cancer San Diego Ungala happening. Uh, I love how it says 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Yeah. Pacific time, San Diego. Check out the website. Hit and, us up on Facebook. And you'll be there. I will be there live in person. Uh, and I think that wraps it up for the year, with the exception of the uh, recurring monthly L.A. We Spark Young Adult Group. That is correct. Find out more It's info. been a big year, though. It's a lot of it, events yes. this year. A lot of events. A lot of events. Okay, folks, uh, the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit is here. It's live. It's real. It's awesome. April 25th through April 28th, next year, 2013, at the Palms Casino Hotel in Las Vegas. April 25th through 28th. 
Join 650 of your fellow survivors, patients, parents, advocates, caregivers, activists, and advocates for a, one of the largest gatherings of its kind in the world. Visit omg2013.org. If you've been living under a rock, Matthew, you wouldn't know that the Stupid Cancer Store now has 20 awesome products for sale. And that includes a lot of stuff that we'd love to see on you on Instagram, on Facebook, and beyond. Check out stupidcancerstore.org. Okay, and finally, the Stupid Cancer Forums, which we just relaunched. They're also pretty. They're beautiful. Also pretty. Stupidcancerforums.org have over 4,000 members. I didn't realize that. We keep saying 3,000. It's actually close to 4,500. Quite large. Quite large. 4,500 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, and parents and caregivers just like you. Again, we made it all nice and pretty. StupidCancerForums.org. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer News. We're such losers. We are losers. But that's why people listen to the show. Okay, continuing our theme of how everything will give you cancer and what can you do to try to not get cancer uh, in terms of what you throw inside that pie hole in your face, uh, is my pleasure to welcome our next two guests. They come in tandem. They do. Apparently, they come in tandem. Would you like to read their intro? Sure. Uh, Annette Ramke and Kendall Scott are young, survi- young cancer survivors turned health coaches who have taken an integrative approach to cancer, focusing on plant-based whole food. Their new book, Kicking Cancer in the Kitchen, The Girlfriend's Cookbook and Guide to Using Real Food to Fight Cancer, was just released in October. Thank you for joining us. All righty, Annette and Kendall. Hi. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi there. How you doing? Good. Great. How are you? We always try to play area code bingo. So uh, where is 215 and where is 207? Well, 207 is Maine, so that's Kendall. I'm in Maine. We forgive you. And And 215 is Philadelphia. All right, in the house. A little more closer proximity to our toxic metro area. Fantastic. Exactly. So I don't know if you're listening to the top of the show, but we had a wonderful guy named Jeff Sherwin, 37-year-old colon cancer survivor who totally reversed his whole ideology about living and food and, you know, not breathing New York air, and he moved to Boston, where it's slightly cleaner. But he launched a, um, a uh, an e-commerce store that aggregates wellness products and vitamins and supplements, and it's pretty credible. It passed the Annie, uh, the Annie test. Yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah. So um, yeah. this is sort of the continuation of that theme where young adult survivors really try to take ownership of what the confusing panoply of what the hell do we throw in our bodies and how much is the rest of the country trying to kill us with their products um, universe going, but from your perspective, this is more of a practical aspect of how to, you know, you we can buy stuff in the stores and buy prepackaged stuff, but this is actually, I forget the word, what happens when you take things and heat them up and make something in, in a room in your house? Oh, cooking, okay. that's right, yes, cooking. Okay, <laughs> so I, I'd love to, you know, I love the guy, you guys come in tandem, I think it's adorable, uh, and that you, you have done this together, so let's just, you know, you both had uh cancer as young adults. Let's start with Annette, and I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, sure. Well, um, thanks so much for having us. And um, my story is that unexpectedly, out of the blue, as it is for most of us who are so young when we're faced with a cancer diagnosis, um, I was hit with a breast cancer diagnosis at age 36 um, and went through surgery and treatment for that. And actually, while I was in treatment, found out that... um, I tested positive for the BRCA1 mutation. So, um, you know, just started um, knowing that I needed to do as much as I could to keep my body healthy with the cards sort of really stacked against me, so to speak. And, um, you know, next to doing all the stuff that my doctors were telling me was important to do, also started finding out, you know, what else can I do to support my body um, through all of this and hopefully prevent cancer or heal well from it. Um, and really just started getting involved in in food and nutrition. Um, And I'd always been interested in food, but I didn't really always eat very well. So the fact that, um, you know, I could get into my kitchen and start making some changes and start feeling better, even while I was in the middle of cancer treatment, um, made a huge difference. So so that was that part. And then um, after I went through breast cancer, uh, I unfortunately also got to go through cancer again because I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer um, shortly after that. So, um, so I've been through it twice and, um, you know, know how important it is to really 
I can to support myself um, to stay healthy. And Kendall? Yeah, so for me, um, I was 27 when I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And one of the first things that happened for me was, uh, you know, when talking with my different cancer team doctors, um, one of the doctors, I was speaking with her and I said, okay, so we're looking at, you know, surgery and chemo and, and maybe radiation, and but I feel like there's something, there's got to be something that I can do. And, you know, I said, I, I have a really bad diet. What if I started eating a little better? And my doctor said, no, there's really nothing you can do. Don't worry about it. And so that was really a, a turning point for me because even though I, I had no idea how much food can really affect our bodies, I knew that there had to be a different answer, a better answer. And, and so I, you know, started doing a lot of the research and, and ended up going to school and, you know, found that I, as I began making these changes in my diet, that I felt a lot better. So not only was, you know, as Annette said, was I hoping to, you know, beat the cancer and, you know, prevent recurrence, but I also felt really good going through cancer treatment. So I felt like, gosh, you know, there's got to be something to this, and this can make a difference, you know, for me in the middle of cancer and, and cancer treatment. It has to make a difference for anyone. And how did you guys get connected? Um, since you're, you know, in Maine and Philadelphia, how did you guys, you know, hook up to get this book together? Yeah, well, since we both um, got turned on to, to food and nutrition while we were going through cancer, we um, decided that we wanted to learn more and we wanted to really, you know, understand the, the nitty-gritty behind what we were discovering for ourselves in the kitchen. So um, we both, without knowing each other at the time, enrolled um, at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition um, in New York City, and we um, attended school there, and we met while we were in the health coaching program at IIN. And we um, started sharing our stories and as part of, um, you know, a group of people who had connected around cancer and, um, you know, just realized that we had had a really similar experience, that we, were, that we were both young going through cancer, that we had realized what a difference food can make, um, and that we wanted to share all that we had learned with others because we felt that it might be helpful for other people going through cancer treatment themselves or recovering from cancer treatment or just for anyone who hopefully, you know, wants to prevent ever having to hear, you know, the words, you have cancer. So, um, you know, we were we were really excited to, to put this book together, um, especially, too, because we felt like um, a resource like this was missing when we were going through cancer treatment. Um, you know, we had been looking for something that, that was a nice um, package of, of reliable, easy-to-understand, friendly, um, first-person experience information and then um, easy but still delicious and nutritious recipes that um, you could use whether or not you're you're in treatment or not. Can you guys talk about your first date in terms of the irony of two young adult cancer survivors happening upon each other who are both interested in this topic and the chemistry just worked for you to do some great things together? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I love that. I think Annette had put, um, we have this sort of online forum um, with integrative nutrition, you know, where students can connect, and Annette had put something out there and, you know, um, I think, or contacted me in some way. And so our, our first date, I think we met for lunch and started talking about our experiences. And, you know, it, it's it's not always, I guess, in the world of, you know, looking at food and how it really does affect our bodies, it's not always easy to find other people who can relate to that, um, and maybe especially um, in, you know, cancer world. And so I know for me, and in, in meeting with Annette for the first time, it was just sort of a breath of fresh air to see someone else who's pretty much gone through something very similar to what I was going through and who got that food connection and, and you know, and felt a difference from it. Um, and so we, you know, I think we were, we grew very close and, you know, been great friends. So not only are we co-authors and, you know, put this book together, but we formed a really wonderful friendship as well. And Kendall, kind of tell me about, you know, the difference in your diet before cancer. Like what did you have, like a food vice or a favorite food or something that's probably not considered so healthy that you've, you know, kind of changed since coming out of treatment. Um, Kendall, we'll start with you. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. My diet was pretty bad, so I probably had a lot of vices. Um, you know, I was I was busy, as most of us are, and I had a, a job where I was, I was stressed out a lot. I was working weekends and nights, and, you know, it was a lot, and my husband was really doing the same, and so we didn't always have time to make dinner, and so it was grabbing a pizza on the way home, um, you know, some kind of takeout. I was pretty bad in the morning, and I would have a lot of coffee, I would probably skip breakfast, um, you know, have some kind of lunch, and then in the afternoon when I kind of had that, you know, mid-afternoon slump that so many of us have, I would drink more coffee and have some kind of sweets. I was definitely a, a sweets and coffee girl. We have a lot in so, common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, I think that, you know, is, is something that happens for a lot of us, and and I just didn't think about it as I was, you know, having my, whatever it was, cookies or whoopie pie. That was, that was definitely Oh, whoopie yummy. pie. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of things. Um, and, you know, and I think I did my best, I think. I, you know, when we would make dinner um, or if I did get, you know, a pizza on the way home, you know, we'd have a salad with it or something. But I didn't realize that there was actually a lot more to it. And, and Nat, what about you? Yeah, it was it was pretty similar for me. I um I had a young daughter um at the time. I still have a daughter. She's older now. Um and so I was I was trying to be a little more mindful about what we were eating. Um but I think I was under the delusion that a lot of people are that because I was shopping at, you know, uh, a store like Whole Foods that I was eating healthy and um you know, I was but I was really using a lot of prepackaged foods. There weren't many, you know, fresh produce items um, in my cart. Um, and I just really, um, I got stuck in, in, a lot of, in a lot of ruts in a way, and as we, as we all do. And it wasn't until I got turned on to the power of real food um, that I expanded my, um, my world, so to speak, in the kitchen and got to know just how delicious so many different foods could be. You know, sometimes it was easy for me to, you know, not go to certain parts of the grocery store or turn up my nose at the idea of eating a certain food because I had the foods that I was familiar with and comfortable with. And um, this is, you I, know, I, once I look at my Facebook feed and the McDonald's uh, page comes up and there's a huddle up with the 20-piece McNuggets for a chance to score tickets to the 2013 Pro Bowl yeah. and there's 52,000 likes. So, this, and I, you know, it's funny, I was, uh, about a week ago I watched the documentary, uh, was it Forks Over Knives or something like that? Yeah. And I was really, I mean, we live and breathe in this universe, so n- most of this stuff isn't like news to us. We're sort of expecting there to be loads of crap and the industry is out to get us and make money and profiteer off our obesity. But this film really changed the way that, uh, you know, and I, there's so much pro and con on both sides of the of the argument and this isn't like the uh you know the corn industry making like pro corn syrup commercials like the science behind does this really matter does this really matter and no one can ever answer my question i've been asking this question for 6 years is there any longitudinal data to support that vegetarians live longer lives than people who are not vegetarian and that people who die if you do a, or or is it is the jury not out yet because geriatrics who are dying in this this decade didn't have any idea what being vegetarian was or is and they're just eating their their borscht and their meat pies and their jewish fattening gribbonous stuff and schmaltz mm-hmm. and schmaltz that was kind of a question yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um i think i think with um you know the the vegetarianism, you know, that's a good point that probably there weren't people that have been eating that way for most of their lives at this point that are, you know, sort of at the end of their lives right now. But I think, you know, one thing that we really talk a lot about in the book is about being flexible and not necessarily putting yourself in a box with a certain label. But what, you know, we found is important and what the literature does support is eating a whole food plant-based diet. So whether or not that includes meat at some point, you know, that's different. But, you know, there's a difference between your, you know, to use your example, the McDonald's chicken nugget or, you know, eating some chicken that's been, you know, raised in a pasture and, and has lived a humane life and it's prepared in a way that's not, you know, being, 
completely changed from its natural form, so to speak, and fried in oil and, you know, frozen and preserved for God knows how long. So it's really about getting back to food that's closer to um, its source, to what it looks like, um, rather than food that's been so changed and, and modified. You know, we talk in the book about, you know, food that your great-grandmother would recognize or, you know, food that you can imagine how it grows or was grown. So I think that's a real thing that we need to get back to is um, is eating that way, the way that our great-grandparents and great-grandparents were eating. So are you suggesting that in 1885 my great-grandmother would not have known what a whoopie pie is? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps a whoopie pie, but certainly not a chicken McNugget. That is, that is true. All right, so, so in terms of practicality, that, that's always the question. It's nice to talk about it. It's nice to have you know professional uh, experts opining on on interesting things that we know have meaningful impact. But from a practical perspective, we have a lot of people here in the New York City chapter that I've been talking to for years now who are who do their best to try to eat vegan, vegetarian, you know, pescatarian, no meat, you know, whatever. And it's just so difficult. Even though the city has adapted into more of a, you know, I was going to ask, like, is it harder to eat better in New York than than in Maine, where you can, like, literally walk to, like, a, a pepper, you know, patch you know, <laughs> across the street. But we have the farmer's markets and we have Whole Foods, and it's more accessible. But at the end of the day, you know, I have people who have uh, talked about, you know, they cook on Sunday for four hours after the kids go to bed, and then they have food for the week. And that's the only way they can ever make this work for their lives. And if they're caught off guard and they miss a meal, they just have to make do, and that's what it comes down to when you make the most of what you got. In your book, can you talk about, you know, are there practical applications to making things work if you have situations like you travel a lot or you have a family or you're dealing with kids that won't even, they only will eat the cookies? Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, if it's not practical, then it's just it's not going to work, of course. You know, you have to make it work for you. And, you know, I I don't spend, you know, four hours on, you know, the weekend preparing meals for the week. I, I kind of wish I had the time to do that, but I don't. So, you know, we talk about things like uh, just really taking it one step at a time. And, you know, maybe you take you pick one thing that you want to work on. Like one of the things that we suggest trying to do is adding in leafy green vegetables. And so, if you do nothing else, try eating more leafy greens like kale and, you know, whatever the rest of your dinner is, saute some kale to have on the side. And that's really quick and easy to do. And things like smoothies. We talk about smoothies a lot. We have a lot of great smoothie recipes in the book. Smoothies are really, really easy. It's something that you can throw together in the morning. You can add in some great nutritious ingredients. Um, if you don't like things like leafy green, you can actually hide you know, spinach or kale in your smoothies, and those are great for kids, too. Um, I have a lot of people that ask about that, and I always say, you know, hide things that your kids don't eat in a smoothie, and it can taste really good, and it's really easy. I have a 15-month-old, and he just does not want vegetables right now, so I'll make a smoothie in the morning and put some fruit in it, but add some spinach and some other things that I know he may not want to eat. So things like that, you know, and I think it's just finding ways to make it work for you, um, you know, other tips that we offer are things like maybe you cook a pot of rice, and that's real easy to do, but you cook a lot of it, and so you can have it for the week, and then you can saute that up with some veggies, um, which takes, you know, 15 minutes on a, a weeknight. So I think there are a lot of different ways you can make it easy, you can make it practical um, without spending a ton of time that most of us just don't have. Are there, you know, outside of the actually making food, or buying prepackaged food, is there any middle ground? And I'm not saying like the the, the whole wee Twinkie. I'm, I'm, is there middle ground in the sense of are there brands out there like Cascadian Farms or whatever that you can actually buy their prepackaged dry goods and it's relatively decent for you? I'm saying like you know are there organic gluten free frosted mini wheats that you could buy instead of the Kellogg's sugary crappy mini wheats? Rhetorically speaking. Are those can those complement people who can't maybe cook all the time? Yeah, um, absolutely. We have a section in the book called Pantry Pals and Staples, and we actually mention some 
brands that we really like and we think they make great products and that we have, you know, in our kitchen, in our cupboards um, for times that we might not have enough time to cook or, you know, if we are cooking, that we that we like using um, their products and their ingredients. But, um, you know, you bring up a really great point and, and so much about, you know, what we read about diet and nutrition, you know, we pick up these books and the authors, you know, or scientists are expecting us to change our lives and change our diets, you know, 180 degrees overnight. And, you know, let's face it, for some people are ready to make that drastic change, but for most of us who, you know, live in the real world, that's not realistic. And so when Kendall and I were writing the book, it was really important to us that, you know, we keep it real. And I think that was another reason why we wanted to write this book as two young survivors who had been through cancer treatment and not as, you know, somebody who is writing about a cancer cookbook but has no idea what it's like to be in the thick of it themselves. So, you know, that being said, we have a whole section in the book, um, which I think is really great and people are really enjoying, um, called Poor, Better, and Best Picks. Um, and so that's a way where, you know, you can see sort of where your choices are falling at the moment in, in a certain category of food. Um, and we help you sort of take it up to the next level, if you will. And, you know, maybe you're eating, you know, a white bagel, and that would be like a poor pick, but then you could, you know, bump it up to a whole wheat bagel, or, you know, that might be a better pick. Or the best pick, you know, maybe you end up making some steel-cut oatmeal. So, you know, we're not expecting you to necessarily move from a poor pick to the best pick overnight, but, you know, it's really about making small changes step-by-step step, where you can, when you can in your diet, um, and we're here in the book to take your hand and, and help you learn how to do that. So um, that was really important to us to keep it real like that. Yeah, and this is to Annette. I also am a breast cancer survivor. I am BRCA1 positive, so oh, okay. I feel you on everything you've been through. Um, I still have yeah. ovaries, but for a few more moments until my doctor decides to, you know, take those away from me. But, um, you know, there's a study that just came out, you know, even just a few days ago talking about, you know, fruits and vegetables are tied to a lower breast cancer risk. Part of it, mm -hmm. I, you know, I take these studies with a grain of salt. Part of it's also I'm also dealing with the tough choices you have to make of cutting out, you know, sugar and sweets and white breads. And I'll admit I had a bagel yesterday and it was good. And, you know, dairy and being careful about things like that. But also part of it is keeping your weight down. And mm -hmm. I know that a big part of survivorship, especially my oncologist has told me, you know, I have to stay as lean as possible. Um, you know, how much do you think that the vegetarian lifestyle is linked to being a long-term survivor and staying in remission, you know, rather than just, you know, having a little bit of meat here and there, you know, what? What do you feel as far as these different studies that come out? Mm, yeah. Well, again, I really think um, from what I've read and experienced that it, um, it it links back to what I was saying before, which is, you know, whether or not you you choose to eat meat um, or be or be you know purely vegetarian or even vegan, that you that you make choices that are close to whole real food as possible. So, you know, we all know that there are people out there who are vegetarians and they're, you know, eating, um, you know, I'm sorry, I, I like I like bagels too, I'm not bashing the bagel, but like bagels and cream cheese and, you know, all of these other foods, but, um, you know, very few vegetables. So, wait, wait, I you know, there, there's Gluten-free bagels and Greek cream cheese. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So so I think there's more to it. So it's it, I guess it's why I'm not trying to avoid your question, but it's I'm a little um, leery of labels because a lot of stuff can be sticking behind a label that is or isn't necessarily, you know, really health promoting. So um so I feel like whatever you're going to do, make it make your diet as clean as possible, make it as close to real whole food as possible and um and find out what works best for your body and um you know that's something else that we really emphasize in the book is about being flexible with your diet because frankly, you know, there are different times in your life and you know you you know yourself, I'm sure from going through cancer treatment, you know, you need extra protein when you're when you're getting chemo. Um and you might, you know, want to have, you know, some some meat or some extra um some extra protein during that time. And so, you know, it's just about making making good choices and about making the choices that are right for your body um for whatever phase of your life you're in, whether it's in treatment or survivorship or or prevention. All right, so question, we got about, uh, I don't know, six or seven minutes left. I want to talk about what may be uh, construed as the obvious, 
But when you guys uh, finished your treatments, uh, actually, a question before that is, we, we've gone on to have lots of conversations when people are in treatment that the idea of drinking, you know, vegetable juice and is just nauseating. You're nauseous enough. The last thing you want to think about is, you know, sort of juiced banana with, you know, onion and garlic and whatever the hell is going <laughs> on. You know, we, we've had social workers on the show. We have friends of many, many cancer centers, and th- their line of thinking is if you're just in, you're in treatment right now and you're in pain and you're miserable, just give them the ice cream if they want the ice cream. Ha- have you discovered that that's kind of you got to give a little or is that just so horrible you should really just force the greens down your throat when you're not just on chemo? Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. When you're in the middle of treatment, I mean, it's it's a totally different world. And, you know, we've both been through it ourselves where we had times, you know, maybe the week after you have chemo, and, yeah, you just you can't do the, the green juice or you can't even do any vegetables, and all you can have is, you know, some ice cream. And, you know, that's okay. You've got to... Do, make it work for you so that you're not miserable. But then, you know, I know for me personally, I, I had chemo every two weeks, and so that week after I felt awful, but then the, the second week I felt really good. And so I was able to try to get more nutritious foods in during that time, and that made me feel really good, and I could feel that difference. Um, so, no, yeah, you've got you've to make it work for you so that you're, you're happy and, you know, doing what you can do. Um, but, you know, when you can, you sneak in those more nutritious foods, and I think there are certainly times when, when we're able to do that, even in the middle of cancer treatment. And what are your thoughts on dairy? Do you guys uh, try to stay away from dairy, or do you try to do, like, soy dairy, or, you know, how, what kind of changes you made in your lifestyle as far as that goes? We really tend to do, you know, less less dairy or, or, or no dairy. and I mean, for different reasons, and one of the first ones is really that, I think Annette and I have both found personally that we don't feel quite as good when we have it. You know, a lot of people, as you know, have digestive issues when it comes to dairy. Um, that was something that I didn't even realize I had a problem with before I started changing my diet, was that, yeah, dairy was actually really affecting me in a negative way. And so we do try to stay away from that. Um, you know, there are certain elevated levels of, of hormones in dairy, and that is linked to cancers. Um, but again, you know, I, I know there were certainly times during treatment when I had some ice cream, and you know, I still go out and have an ice cream cone in the summertime. Um, but generally, we try to find other ways um, or use other non-dairy milks, like an almond milk and things like that. Yeah, I was just turned on my almond milk. I bought my first container uh, last night, and it's sitting in my fridge, staring at me. What should I expect? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess how how are you going to have it? What was your plan? Uh, I was going to have it over my uh, organic frosted mini wheats. Oh well, he's going to dunk think... his glazed donuts in it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my whoopie pie. Yeah. It's going to go right. with a nice, a nice glass of almond milk with my whoopie pie. Yeah, yes, you know it's different than your obviously your typical dairy cow's milk. Um, so it depends how you're going to have it. We love to have it in in smoothies. We use that as a base for a lot of the smoothies, and it's really good and creamy. But um, you know, you get the good protein and, and vitamins from the almonds as well. Right. So, so I, one of the things that I wanted to get are there like you know, it's funny because like substitutions. Like if you're gonna eat this, but you can't eat this, eat this instead. Right. So if you really really want to have, I don't know peanut butter and jelly on white bread, have almond butter with pear butter on sprouted wheat bread. I don't know. Whatever it is. <laughs> Are there practical things? That's sort of like the middle ground. Like, I want, I'm too lazy to cook, but I really don't want to eat McDonald's. What can I eat that's the, the least worst possible healthy substitution? Rhetorically speaking, that's something that we've discussed on the show. We've had lots of nutritionists on the show to say, well, if you're going to feel like eating this, have this instead. Is that are those conversations you've had with patients and uh, and uh, and clients? Yeah, we do. We actually talk a lot about sort of upgrading your choices. So you know, just like what you said, if you're or even what Kendall was talking about, you know, if you're feeling in the mood for maybe you know your 
um, you know, Baskin Robbins uh, milk thick chocolate milkshake. You know, maybe grab your, some almond milk and some chocolate almond milk ice cream, and and you know, whip up uh, whip up a healthier version. So, you know, those are definitely um, definitely things you can do to try to you know just step by step make healthier choices um, with you know your snacks and your meals and things like that. So those kinds of those kinds of steps do make a difference, and um, you know it's really things that people can um, integrate into their lives. You know, you you're trying out the almond milk now. Hopefully, you'll decide that you like it, or you'll find another milk that you like. We love hemp milk too. I don't know if you've tried that, but that's another great one, and it has right, a lot of great I was omega. Just told that even soy milk isn't that good for you anymore. Um, you know, I think we have recipes in our book that we, we you can make your own milk. You can actually just take raw almonds and water, and if you have, um, you know, a, a, a blender, and make your own almond milk. And there you go. You know, that's still you're actually seeing where it's coming from. It's coming from, from almonds. And the same, we have a recipe also in the book for um, hemp seed milk, which uses hemp seed and sunflower seeds. Um, and that's another great um, milk to use and, you know, put over um, your cereal in the morning or use as a base for smoothies or, or whatever you need. So so what's your verdict on soy then? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it a waste of time? Is it is it Because it used to be the alternative to actually having dairy milk is you have soy milk. And now there's, like you said, hemp milk and almond milk and rice milk and God knows what. They can make milk out of, like, like I don't know, like airplane containers or something. <laughs> you squeeze something enough, juice will come out. Right. Yeah, with soy, I mean, you know, with with like with anything, you have to be careful of how processed it is and, you know, there are a lot of soy products out there that claim to be health foods and they're not because they're just so processed, just like anything else that's highly processed. It's really not that good for you. Um, you know, and with soy milks, you know, any non-dairy milk that you buy is, is somewhat processed, which is why, like Annette was saying, if you can make your own, it's a great way to do it. Um, but with soy in general, if you can get the fermented soy foods, which are foods like tempeh, which is, you know, the fermented soybeans, kind of like tofu, um, those are a better way to go because they have all the good probiotics um, and they're less processed and they're a great source of protein and iron and, and all of that. So, again, just like anything else, you know, you want to look for more of the whole foods with soy. Um, and, you know, that's usually the, the best option. Well, we're out of time. We've got maybe a minute or two left. I would love to hear if you guys have any uh, parting words of wisdom for those out there who, uh, first of all, let's talk about what, what's the website to get the book. Yeah, well, our website is thekickingkitchen.com, um, and if you go there, you'll you'll meet us. You'll get to see us. Um, we have a great uh, trailer on there that introduces us and talks about the book, which is Kicking Cancer in the Kitchen, The Girlfriend's Cookbook and Guide to Using Real Food to Fight Cancer. And our book is available anywhere books are sold, so online retailers or in your bookstore. And any parting words? What, if you had to say one quick thing each to the uh, folks listening to the show tonight, uh, besides Don't Eat Whoopie Pies, what else would that be? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I would say that when you get a cancer diagnosis and you're dealing with cancer, there's, you know, so much to be thinking about. And, yeah, we hear that, oh, gosh, everything causes cancer. And, you know, is there something that I can do that can really make a difference? And even though cancer is complicated, food can make a difference. And it may be a little bit. It may be a lot. It may just help you to feel better when you're in the middle of treatment. But if you can make little changes, you're going to notice a difference. You're going to feel it. So I think that's something that's pretty important and something that I found to be true myself. Well, and I, I think for, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. For, I'm sorry. <laughs> for me, I would just add that, um, you know, eating well can be delicious. So don't think just because you're going to be upgrading your diet or making some changes that you're going to have to forfeit your food being tasty and flavorful. Um, it can be really delicious, um, and it can be really fun to get in your kitchen. So, um, so don't be afraid and just get in and experiment and enjoy and have fun. That's what it's really about. Well, you guys have been amazing. I hope you guys avail yourselves of coming to Las Vegas next uh, April. We'd love to have you there in person. It'd be pretty yeah. amazing. Come to Las Absolutely. Vegas. Absolutely. Not a not a bad trip from Maine. No, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> I'd like that. Well, well, thanks again, guys. Congratulations on your survivorship of stupid cancer. Again, the book is Kicking Cancer in the Kitchen, and the website is. The kicking Kitchen dot com. Kicking Kitchen dot com. All right, Annette Ramke and Kendall Scott. Thank you, guys. So much. Thank for you. On the show. Thank you. Bye. 
Yeah, like I said, we could do a show on this every Monday in in perpetuity and never cover all the topics. And every question opens opens up like eight more doors of you know. Then where's the soy? Is it organic soy? Mm-hmm. Is it Mon- like, Monsanto soy? Yeah, is it Monsanto organic soy? Is it non Monsanto organic? Is it international organic Santa Claus kind of what? Yeah, exactly. Never mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, anyway, are we done? I think so. I think we had a good show. It was a good Very show. good show. Awesome stuff. All right. Well, now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's tonight's show, our 248th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. And a special thanks to our soon-to-be full-time co-host, Annie Goodman. Thank you. We'd like to thank Maureen Sweet, Tim and Kim, Matt Beckett from our staff, Jeff Serlin, Kendall Scott, Annette Ramke, being amazing guests. Next week's show is our Season 11 finale. We'll be off the air till January 14th. We are featuring our friends at the Huffington Post which, if you have not noticed, uh, has been doing a whole young adult cancer story arc. It's epic. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So we'll have all these journalists and authors and bloggers from HuffPo on the show next week, including Seamus McKiernan and Laura Shocker, HuffPo bloggers. And then our spotlight, Heather Buchan, a uh, young adult survivor of, I think she had ovarian cancer. Anyway, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodwin, myself, and the whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. We'll see you back here next Monday live at 7 p.m. Eastern. Good night. 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 Good night.